At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig. Healthcare Americana is a podcast for the 99% of people who get healthcare in America. We're not clinicians or policymakers here. We're patients and caregivers, executives and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. This podcast brings listeners backstage at innovative organizations talking to innovative people across America that are putting patients first by delivering exceptional care to anyone and everyone. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. Today, we're talking to Dr. Edward Williams with Foundation DPC down in Mobile, Alabama. And Dr. Williams, you are coming off of Hurricane Ida and welcoming in the, your first daughter into the family. How you doing? Yeah, so far so good. Uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, uh, welcoming a daughter and then shortly after uh, fending off a hurricane is always, always something fun to do for sure. Now, I, I hope no real damage there. We were just talking a bit off screen, but sounds like you made it through unscathed. Just a few sleepless nights here starting to add up. Yes, uh, difficult to determine whether or not that's a hurricane or having three under three in your house. Um, I think the inside of the house looks worse than the outside for now. But uh, yeah, Ida, it, it came in a little bit to our west. So it really hurt Louisiana, but uh, lower Alabama did, did okay from what I can see. And you're right. Uh, your practice is located right on the east side of, of Mobile Bay there in a little town called Spanish Fort. You're relatively new to the direct primary care landscape, and we've been working together with Freedom Health Works and Foundation DPC for, gosh, almost a year now, uh, yeah. which, is, which is great to, uh, hard to believe there. So give us an update where you are in your practice. Tell the people kind of the, the good, the bad, the ugly, as you've been in business since January, I believe. Yeah, so started, uh, I want to say August 15th of 2020 is when uh, we got introduced and then opened up in January of 2021. And yeah, so far so good. Steady as she goes, growing pretty well. Uh, there's a COVID spike where we are right now. So that's kind of kind of put the brakes on some things, kind of shifting into more telemedicine versus inpatient stuff. But uh, that's okay. It's super easy. As most of the listeners know, direct primary care is uh, super flexible and we make it work for our patients. So if they're sick or having issues or don't want to come into the office, that's totally cool. And uh, we can do telemedicine just wherever they are. We make it work. But uh, yeah, so far, so good. I've been enjoying it. I actually like really love what I'm doing now. And yeah, so kind of fresh to the DPC practice, which is interesting to say, but uh, as far as Alabama goes, I think there's only a handful of us doing it in the state. And I want to say I'm like the second or third doctor doing it. And definitely the first one in Baldwin County. 
So, uh, yeah, so far so good. I've been enjoying every second of it. Yeah, we work with a great doc up in Birmingham as well. So Alabama's growing. It's really interesting. There's a lot of interest from the Southeast. I'm going to consider Alabama to be the Southeast. Uh, The United States, a lot of interest down there. You mentioned COVID. I want to dive in on that just briefly here because I know your story on how you found this model and how you had the motivation to go out there and and rejoin independent practice or go build your own independent practice had Mm. a lot to do with the pandemic. So walk us through your timeline from early 2020, the whole world is going up in flames. And what were you thinking? Yeah. So interestingly enough, I want to say my mind shifted in late I want to say November of 2019, um, I was working in the system, as we all know how that goes, in an outpatient clinic in Bowen County. And I was trying to make the clinic as efficient and as streamlined as possible. And so one of the ideas I had was to, you know, make a warfarin clinic for my patients because I had a lot of elderly individuals that were on warfarin. And that's kind of a touchy medication. So my OCD self was like, why don't I just, you know, line up my warfarin people on the same, same day and just knock it out one Friday a month and just check everybody's INRs, get them out. And uh, so I was trying to schedule all my patients on that day. And one of the administrators came in and said, what are you doing? Uh, And I said, running a warfarin clinic. And she was like, can't do that. I go, I can't run a clinic for my patients. And she goes, there aren't your patients. They're the hospital's patients. And that, and like uh, just a bulb just went off and I was like, okay, that's how it's going to be, huh? And so that planted the seed where I was like, I'm not going to work for these people my entire career because they already view me as just an employee. So that's when the seed got planted. And then as we all know, what happened in early 2020, COVID hits. And so anybody working in the ERs or anywhere just saw a volume drop. And so what that did was give me a whole lot of time at their clinic to study things that might be alternative to the current modality that I was practicing. And they gave me too much time to think about it because I stumbled across (laughs) direct primary care and, uh, you know, looked into it. At first I was like, man, this is this sounds too good to be true. You get, you, you get to be your own doctor, work for yourself and actually treat patients the way they should be treated and utilize everything you have at your fingertips to be able to treat your patients. And so I sat in my office in that outpatient clinic and studied and studied and found you eventually and went back and forth and decided to pull the trigger. And like we said, August of last year was when I signed up and then y'all took me through the three month process of getting everything ready to roll, turned in my resignation, September 1st of 2020. And then, uh, my last day was uh, last day of November. I took December to make my office ready. And then we opened up direct the direct primary care practice on January 4th and haven't looked back since. So I've just loved it, but uh, super fortunate. I think that um, I had that conversation with the administrator so early in my career, because 
it just made me realize like a couple of months into being out of residency that this is how the real world works and that that's how it's going to be for as long as you're with this current employer. So it's kind of a blessing in disguise, I think. What were your perceptions? And I'm just curious about this because we do see a lot of physicians coming out of residency and saying, wait a minute, being a doctor in this day and age and working for a hospital Mm -hmm. is not what I thought it was going to be. What was your perception of being a doctor growing up, going through medical school and then going through rotations, residency? What did you think that you were doing and how did that compare to once you got out? Oh man, medical school, you're just trying to survive to the next test. Uh, There's really not much else going on in your life. I mean, friendships and relationships suffer. You are just really in the books. Rotations, yeah, it gets a little bit better, but uh, you really don't see anything but trying to learn what's going on with these illnesses, patient communication, stuff like that. There is zero business aspect to what you're doing. And I mean, you you follow your uh, preceptors around and you're, you know, trying to just take in everything they have to say, but even they sometimes don't even get into the quality of life of their own lives. And it's just kind of so scatterbrained that it's really tough to pick up anything, but what your next test question is in medical school. Plus you're doing everything. So you're following surgeons, you're following family medicine, you're following you know, oncology, you don't know where you're going to go at that point. So you're kind of filtering that kind of lifestyle into, and then you get into residency and residency is just a different type of health that I can't even describe, but you go through that and they work you so hard that you really don't have time to, I mean, you don't even sleep really. And you just blaze through your three, four or five years of residency. And by the time you get out of there, you feel pretty good, Um, especially, you know, once you take your boards, you're pretty well versed in in your specialty. So you're feeling pretty cocky a little bit, really smart. That's probably peak level of intelligence that I will ever get to. Um, And then it just steadily goes downhill. But uh, so you pass your boards and then you graduate and then Usually a year prior to graduation, you'll get hounded by somebody looking for jobs or, you know, they're offering you a job or offering sign-on bonuses. I know they gave me a sign-on bonus that if I signed up, they would, you know, pay me extra money while I was in residency and a $50 bill extra, you know, in residency is amazing. So you just get kind of bamboozled a little bit with all the shiny lights that they're throwing at you and you're super naive and you'll sign anything just to get out of residency mm-hmm. for the most part. And then once you start your real job, reality hits and it is not pretty for the most part. You are not as cool as you thought you were, you know? <laughs> so, but uh, it takes, and, and all throughout this process, there was maybe one lecture on investing, which was the only lecture that was different subject matter than mechanism of actions of medications or viruses or something like that. I don't remember one lecture on the business of medicine or insurances or they, I mean, they, they teach you how to bill. That's for sure. That's a big part of it. But 
nothing on how to run something or what goes into anything like that. What is accounting? What's a financial statement? How do I open a bank account? We hear that a lot. I think the the stats last time I looked was five hours of business education is what most doctors have between undergraduate, you know, heavily science focused or pre-med courses, medical school, residency, five hours of total business education on what is a profit loss statement? How do I do a balance sheet, right? What is payroll? <laughs> How do I actually calculate a payroll tax? There's been a lot of DPC doctors we've talked to that started up practice themselves. They get a nice friendly letter from the IRS saying, you owe thousands of dollars in payroll tax and they never had a clue. Yeah, totally. And uh, I, I know I've talked to you multiple times about this. I'm like, I'm really good at medicine, not really good at small business. So I'm going to have to really get some help with this kind of stuff. Yeah, you're right. I mean, five and a half hours throughout a decade worth of education, it seems like they should be able to fit something in there on the schedule that just tells you what the heck taxes are, you know, why we have to pay payroll taxes, how to find uh, malpractice insurance, you know, what resources there are for that, what an IRA is, like nothing. They, I mean, it is wild. It's so bizarre. And I bet a lot of people listening would be like, well, I went to business school and you didn't hear a lot about that. I can build you out a really slick spreadsheet that will forecast a bunch of numbers from here to eternity, but I don't know how to invest my money You know, smart. So maybe we should be talking about how to revamp and reform education as a whole. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm all for it. That might be a different lifetime. We'll see. That's, that's a different book I'm going to have to write. Exactly. I wanted to ask, you mentioned something really, really interesting, you know, a few minutes ago when that you had that light bulb moment. So, you know, just to set the stage. So your peak intelligence, like you just said, coming out of residency, thinking you're hot shit, coming out of here and saying, all right, I'm ready to go save the world. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. I don't think the world that I'm going into might actually want to be saved. And yeah. so when you have your administrator telling you, Dr. Williams, this isn't your patient. This is our patient. Mm -hmm. What does that do to a physician? And answer that question first, you know, how do you, how do you react to that from a physician? And then I got some follow-up questions, you know, going down that same vein of who actually can own a patient. Is that right? Yeah. So keeping this PG rated, I'll just say it uh, upset me a little bit, but it's kind of the same feeling that you would have if you watch somebody like a bully beat up your little brother or something, you're not going to stand for that. And uh, just the egregiousness behind somebody owning a patient just fires me up a little bit and uh, it should get everybody fired up. I'm going to I'm trying not to use my colorful words, but um, it irritated me to the point where I was going to gamble my entire career in order to change it for sure. Yeah. It, just the concept, right. Of even me as a patient, as a non-physician going somewhere and thinking that some health system technically owns me. Yeah. And it goes against every single piece of DNA in, in a red blooded American's body. Like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I'm going to make the decision to go anywhere I want to. And oh, by the way, I want to stick with Dr. Williams mm -hmm. and follow him wherever he goes. Because I think in that equation, it's a power grab. I don't know how to describe it any other way, right? It's territorial. When I had some patients come with me from my old practice, 
when I said, hey, send your records to this new fax number. And they go, what are you talking about? They're your records. I was like, no, no, I, yeah, I made the records, but technically they're my old employer's records. You're going to have to go ask them for the stuff that I typed up. And it just was like, they're really confused and angry, but uh, they view it as territory and they view patients as I was the factory and they were the product. So they view the patients as the product and they will fight tooth and nail in order to keep as many products as they can. And they, they just take the human element out of anything they do. Um, and it's a shame. And I had to see that from my side of the desk and uh, I didn't enjoy it at all and uh, wasn't going to give my life to that for sure. Well, the patients get totally lost in that equation, right? Going yeah. back to that point that if they are the product and when you hear people in hospital systems that discuss the throughput times of patients and, and ERs and how many people can we get from point A to point Z here, that's a big problem. That should make every physician in the country pause and say, well, wait a minute, is that good for the patient? Mm-hmm. And what I'm driving at is the concept of continuity of care. When you establish care with a physician like yourself and me as a patient, I trust you with the lives of myself, my well-being, my family's well-being. And then if you leave to go actually say, look, Chris, I'm going to actually take better care of you with longer visit times, better access, cheaper care. And then the hospital says, oh, Dr. Williams just vanished off this face of the earth. To me, the patients have far more to lose than any financial disincentives or, or even incentives in that case mm-hmm. that the hospital has. And yeah. I, I don't understand why people go for it on the patient or the physician side and nobody stands up to fight it. Yeah. Um, it's because not many people do, not many people do stand up to fight it. And uh, everybody wants to say, you know, things need to be different, but there's only a couple that are doing it differently. And I, you know, I hope to, I hope to be one of them. And another thing that went into my decision to leave that so soon was, yeah, you see how they're going to treat their patients slash products. And I was only a little over a year into it. And I said, well, you know, if I have a couple of years into this practice, it's going to hurt a lot more than if I leave now before people really got involved with me or with, you know, what I do. So it was kind of really good timing that I realized it was, it was time to go because I didn't want to, you know, form a 10 year relationship with somebody. And then all of a sudden I have to leave. So it was kind of good, kind of bittersweet, but uh, I think it's for the best. And uh, yeah, they uh, got a different story for them telling some of my patients that I was uh, off the face of the earth. (laughs) Oh, please share. I love those stories. (laughs) Yeah. I got a, um, So with DPC, you have great access and, uh, you know, my patients can text me at any time. And one day I got just blown up on my phone. It was one of my patients freaking out because there was a rumor going around the small town where I used to work that I had, you know, ceased to exist due to a car accident Um, and they were panicking. And so I returned the call and I was like, no, still here. They haven't got me yet. So... (laughs) Did you, uh, did you go out uh, with a mirror and look under your car for any flashing lights at that point? You know what? If they want to blow up my Corolla, that's totally cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that is another attribute, you know, to 
your business sense of, hey, I got my first signing bonus, which I'm not even sure we can actually legally call that a signing bonus anymore because there's so many parameters and, and restrictions on it of those first contracts that doctors sign. But hey, kudos to you for not uh, going out and buying that brand new Cadillac or the brand new Escalade and saying, you know what, I'm going to live, I'm going to live within my means, mm-hmm. understand what I have to do to hit my financial goals. But that's a that's a trait that is, um, I wish we saw a lot more often. I would say that. Yeah, that kind of goes towards a different bookshelf that I have behind me. But uh, I think that was part of the reason I could pull the trigger and go a different route was because I, you know, you listen to Dave Ramsey, you listen to the white coat investor, stuff like that. And uh, you realize maybe I shouldn't go out and buy a Maserati with my first paycheck because golden handcuffs are real. And uh, if you bury yourself, I mean, they kind of want you to because they need you to be craving that paycheck every two weeks, no matter how many letters are behind your last name. That's how they get you. Oh, absolutely. And again, we see it. We're one of some physicians that we're trying to work with local banks. And, you know, I'll be damned if the local banks only had financial instruments geared towards physicians Mm -hmm. that were supposed to go out and buy new toys with it. Mm -hmm. We had to look high and low to set a lot of our clients up with financial institutions that would extend them actual business loans based Mm -hmm. off the merits of recurring revenue subscription business right? It's every business person in the country, in the world right now is going after subscription recurring revenue plans. It's a brilliant model. And these banks are so enthralled and the financing partners so enthralled with, well, how much did you bill last year to insurance? Mm -hmm. And I completely agree with you. They want you to go in there and just get those claws in you, rack up the debt so that you don't have a choice, but stay put. And can't even afford the six months or year it takes you to get back up to that, start making even more money uh, than you were in in the employed world. So it is a uh, multifaceted approach to just lock down some of the best and brightest people in our communities. And, you know, it's a shame. Um, Wanted to ask you, you did mention that in residency and medical school, you did learn how to bill for insurance. Mm -hmm. Did that strike you now as something that well, that's a little weird. Is that kind of like felt like a brainwashing when you were a student compared to what you know right now in a direct care practice? You know, I don't think you know you're being brainwashed while it's happening. Uh, that's fair. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think I thought it was weird. I mean, part of the curriculum was knowing what the difference between a 99213, 99214, 99215 was. And if you couldn't spit it out, then you would be like docked a point and you would be threatened that you weren't going to graduate on time. And you had to back up like what your reasoning was. And if you didn't push your billing through, you'd get a kindly worded email from the uh, billing department that you needed to finish your notes, how to incorporate modifiers, like how to bring somebody back if they exceed their 99214 visit. It was like a whole nother world to the medicine aspect. But I mean, that's what they used the residents for was physician level documentation for $40,000 a year. I've got a, I got a soapbox for that too, but. Uh, yeah. And just to clarify what you're meaning is that every time you put that code in that hospital was billing full price. Oh yeah. Yet they were paying you pennies of what another physician that's two years older than you 
was able to do. Yeah, for sure. And that's why they work as, you know, hundred hour weeks is because <laughs> they'll, they'll reward you with two days off a month or so. And then friendly nonprofit it, hospitals, right? It's wild. It's so crazy. Uh, it, it is. There's a lot of stuff that just kind of, it kind of makes your skin crawl. Like I feel dirty talking and knowing about it. Right. And then you tell other people that and they're like, I don't believe that. That that can't be, that's too, it's too crazy to be true. You're like, yeah. I'm not making this up. Yeah. The trade-off was I got a lot of experience, which I guess is good, but there you uh, go. that's the, there you go. Uh, so, no, I hear you. I hear you. So last question for you. And this is always the kind of crystal ball moment. What is the perfect, I'm going to use the word system here. What does the perfect healthcare system look like to you? And then uh, what's your advice for empowering physicians to help get us there? Yeah. So knew the question was coming still is difficult. I think that this should be like a branch podcast for y'all. Just that question and just go off on it for 40 minutes. We might um, have to. <laughs> it, I think it'd be great. For me, the a good system would just be utilizing what we have technology-wise to for the betterment of the patient um, and yourself. Um, and just let doctors be doctors. You know, that's it's so simple, but yet nobody that's insured lets doctors be doctors without the hoops that they have to go through. Obviously, I think transparency is huge. And then the free market mixed with the transparency. You put prices on these things at Big Pharma and the hospitals and the AMAs and whatever, they're spending so much money trying to hide. If you put a price tag on these things, it's going to open up a world of just competition that's going to bring everything down. It's interesting that they try to hide it so hard, but I think that would be, that would be the start. And if you want to invite me back for the uh, new podcast, you're going to start after this, you just let me know and I'll go off on that tangent. But I think the answer to the second question to encourage doctors, especially primary care doctors. Yeah. I mean, if I can do it, anybody can do it. It's just that you have to want to do it and you have to, be sick and tired of the kind of hamster wheel that you're in. Everybody's scared to take the leap of faith, but it is really a different world and uh, you're in control of your own destiny. And the other way, you are definitely not. It's just whether or not you want to take that path less traveled for sure. Dr. Ed Williams, Foundation DPC. Thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for having me again. I appreciate it. Once again, I'm your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. The new administration has big plans for your health insurance, changes that can limit your choices. The Affordable Care Act created a one-size-fits-all plan. Healthcare is not a one-size-fits-all problem. 
The premise of the ACA is that coverage equals care. It does not. This is Eric Wilson from iSolve Incorporated, and I recently saved a family in their 50s almost $600 per month with our free market plan. Act now. Protect yourself with a plan that cannot be canceled. This is a nationwide PPO plan, which allows you to pick your doctors and hospitals. Start saving 30 to 60% today. If you are self-employed, purchase your own health insurance, or are uninsured, you can lock in a private plan managed by you, not the government. Call me, Eric Wilson, an expert with 17 years experience at 888-448-5370. That's 888-448-5370. Or go to iSellHealth.com. That's iSellHealth.com. A free market, affordable approach to healthcare. I look forward to speaking with you. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.